couple of hours later, the uh, ballet goes on and and the music goes on, on on Radio Moscow. And we're thinking of getting the bosses out of bed. On comes all the announcements saying that uh, Gorbachev's been deposed and uh, a new new council of ministers has been put in charge. And that went mad. This is Cold War Conversations. If you're new here, you've come to the right place to listen to first-hand Cold War history accounts. Do make sure you follow us in your podcast app or join our emailing list at coldwarconversations.com. We speak today with Alastair Coleman, who joined BBC Monitoring as a technician in 1989, just in time for the fall of the Berlin Wall. He was on the console night shift at Kavashem on the night of the coup against Soviet leader Gorbachev in 1991 and describes that night as the highlight of his career at the time. Before we start, I'd like to thank Andrew Adolfson, Rick Mason, Mike Smith, Aid Bryant, Ole Bjorsvik as the latest members of our select band of supporters who are helping us financially just for the price of a cup of coffee a month and help keep us on the air. They will shortly be the proud owners of a Cold War Conversations coaster. Don't you want one too? Just go to patreon.com slash coldwarpod. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash coldwarpod. Back to today's episode. Alastair spent 15 years in shortwave radio, radio telegraphy and satellite reception and research, providing the signals for monitors and editors to see foreign media. He tells a fascinating story of how many countries obtained information about activity behind the Iron Curtain. We welcome Alastair Coleman to our Cold War Conversation. Alastair, how did you get recruited by the the BBC? Quite by accident, of course. I was a computer operator for uh, motorway tyres and accessories. That sounds uh, glamorous. Yeah, doing all their stock <laughs> taking and everything. Uh, this was this was nineteen eighty nine, so it's a long time ago. It's big mainframe thing, and uh, the BBC who were working in Reading for the, for the BBC monitoring uh, were after computer operators for their new computer, which was the same make as the one I was working on. And I applied. And after three interviews later, I, I was starting in February 1989. And and so where where were you based? Where was this? Yeah, this is BBC monitoring. It, it was and still is. Uh, part of the bbc news division it's it was uh, part of uh, bbc world service then um it's in cavisham was in cavisham park uh, just outside reading uh big mansion on the top of the hill outside town of a huge 10 meter satellite dish which one day i would i would be uh, operating myself so uh, yeah, it's it's basically on the skyline in reading and everybody knows it's there right right and how old were you when when you joined them I was the boy engineer then. I was uh, just 23 then. And what role did they recruit you into? I was I was literally a computer operator. It was a brand new computer system. I started there just as they were dumping typewriters and going into a huge mainframe uh, text handling system. So, yeah, so they just needed somebody to who could, like, 
change backup tapes and stuff. It was one of those big old-fashioned mainframe computers. Yeah, no, I remember I was involved in computers in the uh, the late 80s, and they were like massive washing machines. And Yeah, yeah, we had, we had uh, 13 of them all working together. And can you just describe what the what BBC monitoring did then? What, what was its purpose within yep. the BBC? Yeah, uh, BBC monitoring still is. It's uh, open source, so it's a uh, foreign listens and watches foreign broadcasters for news output, uh, anything that can give an insight to a foreign nation and and how they're acting. Um, just before I joined, uh, nineteen eighty six. Uh, our Finnish team broke the news of Chernobyl to the world. It was broadcast on Finnish radio about the increased levels of uh, radioactivity, and that was the first inkling that something had gone horribly wrong in Russia right. and the Ukraine. Right. So that that's a, a really good indication of, I guess, the, the value of this because you're getting, uh, certainly in those days before 24-hour news, you were getting information way before it was you know, release to the press or anything like that? Oh, yes, it was, it was, it was a very well-run operation. It still is a very well-run operation. I keep talking about it in the past, <laughs> but it's all very much with us. Uh, back then, uh, you had to be on time, always had to be on time for your for your bulletin, otherwise you'd miss it and you might miss an important story. So, um, yeah, so if you're not there at the top of the hour... Uh, You've got all sorts of questions to answer to your boss. Right, right. And this was all shortwave broadcast in the main, yeah, I presume. Yeah, I, yeah, after the first year or so of operating the computer, I uh, I uh, became a, a technical operator, which was actually tuning the radios, pointing the satellite dishes, uh, pulling in radio teletype broadcasts. So all that sort of stuff was still going. Uh, yeah, it was absolutely fascinating. So yeah, so so you just sit there listening to shortwave radio for a whole tw- ten, twelve-hour shift, right? And and presumably you had experts in those languages. You weren't just listening to their English language broadcasts. Oh yeah, we've had uh, BBC monitoring has a long history of language expertise uh so we have a lot of emigres from the ex-soviet union uh covering russian we started off covering german uh, and for, for the second world war but yeah a lot a lot of russian speakers um arabic speakers with persian speakers so basically cover the whole world and we we share the world with our american equivalents and our, our australian equivalents and uh, so, so uh, we basically got full coverage of um, uh, open source intelligence around the world. Right. So, so you worked quite closely with, for example, the U.S. Foreign Broadcast Information Service. Oh yes, we did a lot of uh, uh, research for them. Uh, they, they would often send me somewhere in the world just to listen to radio and get some idea of what was going on, so that could be fed back to their operation. Right. And so, did you sort of like divvy up? what countries to listen to or or did you sort of both listen to the same same countries or how did there was there was some divvying up but there was also some overlap so there's a lot of overlap in russia and some in some in the far east but yeah uh we and not to mention africa as well we, we've got uh uh listening station in nairobi uh, but they also cover west africa and southern africa right Right, and presumably other NATO countries had similar 
organizations too oh yes they do but we we shared our uh output with with our nato uh partners uh it, it, it was actually uh, there's actually a government agreements for this and there's still our government agreements for this but we also uh sell our output and analysis to them as well so it's not just reporting the news as it turns up it's also analyzing what they're saying so to give an idea to the intelligence services to governments to other news broadcasters uh, what what the hell's going on in the world right and i don't know whether you'd be aware of this but was there like a soviet or an east german equivalent of bbc monitoring absolutely certain there was i mean i don't think they've i don't think they've ever mentioned it uh, but we're absolutely certain there is the same coming the other way yeah no i can imagine that they that you know open source intelligence is a valuable source of intelligence in in yeah. itself um from that pretty much it concludes that, that that most countries major countries have, have their own operation yeah and w- with the you know the eastern bloc countries for example do you think that there were attempts at disinformation because they knew that uh bbc monitoring service was listening in it's hard to tell at the time uh because uh, yet we we started off covering disinformation which was uh stuff uh broadcast by nazi germany knowing that we were listening so we can imagine that that carried on throughout the cold war as well we 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 did notice actually if there's actually parts of our archive in 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 the uh, open bbc archive website where you can actually see some of the stuff we were covering and, and and pointing out that this was actually broadcast misinformation and that was from uh reich sender from germany uh this undoubtedly carried on through the cold war there's obviously uh misinformation being broadcast. yeah yeah because you know i've i remember listening to radio moscow in the 1980s and it was always you know great news tractor production is up and stuff like that you know it was never never anything yeah. you'd be yeah, really interested in there's nothing yeah i, I mean my, my speciality now uh, as you probably know is north korea and yeah communists are gonna communist They're, it's still very much tree planting is brisk and all that sort of thing sounds like a um a code word somebody would use in a meeting with an agent yeah they actually have been sending out um coding messages as well on on radio pyongyang so yeah we have caught them at it whether they're whether they're genuine or they're making up as they go along just to just to waste our time that's another who knows that's interesting so and Presumably, the Soviet and Warsaw Pact countries used similar to transmit hidden messages to their their agents. Oh yeah, oh yeah. We can. I mean, uh, a lot of my time spent when I was an operator was spent on the uh, research bench because shortwave radio never stayed the same. They're always using new f- frequencies, always new sorts of stations popping up, uh, and you could just drift off into the old number stations, which are a subject in themselves which were oh uh, yes Yes. absolutely i'm i'm looking to do a entire episode on the number stations that's that is a subject in in absolutely fascinating and yeah uh if you listen to long enough long enough you can more or less tell which 
country they're coming from, or we could direction find them as well so to find out approximately where they were coming from. Uh, it, it, it was strange stuff. Yeah. And they all had their little nicknames. Yeah. Well, I use one of the uh, East German number stations in the uh, intro to the podcast um, yeah. with this robotic sounding German lady. Yes, uh, the British one was known as uh, Lincolnshire Poacher because it always played at the same tune at the beginning. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Apart from cultural variations, how did Radio Moscow and the other Soviet bloc countries cater for broadcasting their, their messages from one language to another? So obviously Radio Moscow's English language message might be different to an arabic or a or a german broadcast would would that be the case yeah very much so yeah um hi this is rhonda in virginia and i support cold war conversations because i think the work that ian is doing is critically important i think it's vital to record the first-hand accounts of people who lived and experienced the cold war uh, because it illustrates history in a way that a book never can so thank you so much for the podcast. It's my favorite podcast, and I look forward to it every week. To be like Rhonda and help to preserve these incredible stories of the Cold War, as a monthly or annual supporter, you'll be able to listen ad-free, you'll become one of our community, get the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster as a thank you, and you'll bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate to find out more. Yeah, they they they, they did t- they did tailor their output. They they I can't remember how many languages they had were out at their peak, but uh, dozens. Well, we we were listening to uh, Radio Moscow World Service twenty four hours a day. You know, they might just have uh, thirty minutes in. Uh, uh, a little no little used uh, asian language or african language uh it, it which would just be plain news and, uh, and the odd little feature but uh, so, yeah uh, it was all depending uh, their messages were tailored to what the local politic was and uh, who they were aiming it at uh, even even english language ones would change slightly depending which part of the world they were, they were sending it to they, they didn't uh, the way that uh, shortwave video works you being to certain parts of the world at certain parts of the day and then to another part of the day. So being to the US, say, and to Europe have slightly different messages. Right, right. Now, that, that, that's interesting, the sort of, sort of nuances around the propaganda that they're sending out. And it's interesting because you were talking about North Korea, and that is probably, you know, one of the, the – the, well, is, is probably the last outpost of uh, sort of the Cold War – um, to some degree, and it's still doing the same thing. So do, do they have English language broadcasts and broadcasts in other languages, or is their operation quite small? Radio Pyongyang is one of the very few countries that still broadcast on shortwave. And uh, uh, the thing is about uh, the propaganda and educa- education department in, in North Korea and how, it's, how it uh, outputs its uh, message is that it will have one central script in Korean, and then translate the, it into all the different languages. There's all the different languages they're, they're going to be broadcasting or publishing in. So that no matter who you are, where you are in the world, or what language you speak, you will get the same uh, message as any other language. So, so uh, 
it's all very strictly controlled as to what the uh, message is, but there is only one message. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that that that's interesting. Do you do you think that Radio Moscow and some of the other, you know, Soviet era Eastern Bloc countries broadcasts were effective at all? Yeah, they they did they did have their following. I mean, uh, uh, not a huge following. Uh, uh, you know, the most people that actually listen to them in the more developed countries tend to be hobbyists, so they tend not to get. Uh, people excited did you hear what they said in in radio moscow last night yes i did comrade yes that, that's not the sort of thing that uh, um uh, the, the sort of conversation that they get uh, in this country because we were more developed and and uh, so probably a lot more cynical about what you hear on the radio so they, they were preaching to the converted over here uh whether it's the same in other countries it's it's hard to tell but i, I presume that the message must have got through to people they were looking for yeah yeah and di- and did they use sort of forms of entertainment to get that message over so did they do comedy shows and and things like that to try and sort of soften the way they're pushing the message they, they were they always used to be eight minutes of news and then a commentary and then and then they go off on their own programming so there was often uh, a musical programs but it wasn't the kind of music me as a 20 30 something person would like to listen to it was all pretty square stuff yeah yeah that might have been the demographic they were aiming for you never know yeah <laughs> it's also interesting to see that now we've that society's moved on uh that russia today is sort of trying to do the same thing and it is actually finding an audience it's actually been very careful in uh what it broadcasts and so it's not all strictly looks like it's coming from russia now it's even called rt just to get rid of the whole thing about it being russian so um so, so yeah, I mean they they've actually found found a small um, audience of people who don't believe who, who decide they don't want to believe uh, what what they see on on uh, domestic television in the UK. So it's 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 strange that it seems to after de- decades of of broadcasting almost futilely to the UK, they found their way in television. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, onto TV and cable and free view and all over the place i mean they have got yeah Yeah. direct piping they've even got they've even got their own sort of video clipping agency roughly which can then just get put into news bulletins free of charge so that's that 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 just spreads their name it's 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 very interesting very successful the way they've done that yeah do you think that's as a result of some lessons they learned during the cold war oh yeah i mean they they uh they're I mean, running dozens and dozens of uh, shortwave transmitters was an enormous waste of money. Uh, probably not the best use of resources. Uh, and they found, you know, they, they found now that it's better to direct a message against dissatisfaction of, of, of politics in the UK and, and around Europe. And, and they, they seem to have learnt their lesson that uh, people need to be entertained as uh, as well as have information fed to them. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So tell me about that infamous night in August 1991 that you mentioned to me. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Yeah, I was, what, 25 years old. I was working night shifts on the console at Cavisham Park. Uh, Also on that night was was, uh, a chap called Bob Harrison, who was at Crowsley Park, which is our receiving station, and he was a guy who was tuning the radios. Uh, 
and also our Russian team, which on the past midnight to six o'clock shift was Janice, Janice Farrell. And she was there monitoring TASS news agency and anything which shows up on the television. Anyway, television comes on the air. It's not the news we were expecting. It was Swan Lake. And how are you, sorry, before you go any further, how are you picking up TV from Russia in Caversham Park? Yeah, I mentioned that 10 metre satellite dish. Ah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, we we got five of them. Well, I think we're down to four at the moment, but yeah, because of all the moving about we're doing, we're now we're now based in the broadcasting house. But uh, yeah, a ten meter satellite dish aimed at uh, uh, an old Russian satellite, uh, one of the Gorazont series, at forty degrees east on the C band, and we were getting Russian First Channel. Wow. Okay. At two o'clock in the morning, and uh, yeah, one of the Incredible things from that. They also broadcast their newspaper front pages so you can like get them out virtually on a fax machine. That'd be a big fax machine. Yeah, we get the newspaper front pages and and all, all, all the inside pages basic, basically sent over a thing called news fax and press fax. And uh, yeah, so that, that was one of the uh, bonuses of picking it up from satellite. Right. So back to this balmy night in August, you're there with bob and janice was it and you know it's an ordinary night and you're thinking you know presumably that shift was the real graveyard shift where nothing normally happened or did things normally happen? oh yeah uh, yeah i mean i mean yeah usually uh on the console we'd have some really busy ones at, at the changing of the seat the broadcast seasons where we had to do lots of research but this was just making sure that the TV channels, the satellites are pointing at the right dishes that we're getting reception where we're expecting reception from. Right. So uh, Swan Lake comes on and you think, hang on, that's a bit strange. Me and Bob have a talk because there's also, there's also music on uh, Radio Moscow when they should be doing news. And there's also music on the domestic services uh, like Mayak uh, and that, that sort of thing. Uh, where there should be news and everything. Oh ho, we've seen this before. Uh, it usually means that, that the leaders died or something, or something something yeah. unpleasant happened. So, and obviously with Shernenko and Andropov and all that flow of sudden death, people keep falling over dead. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so all of a sudden we, we spring into life and uh, and just sit there waiting. And a couple of hours later, uh, instead of going you know, the uh, Ballet goes on and and the music goes on 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 Radio Moscow and we're thinking of getting the bosses out of bed. On comes all the announcements saying that uh, Gorbachev's been deposed and uh, a new new council of ministers has been put in charge and that went mad. <laughs> so what did you do that? Because up to that point you hadn't called anybody, yeah. I presume. Well, we, we're already in. Uh, Janice got the print off from from. Uh, TAS news agency, which she typed in the spell. Yeah, <laughs> you, you know what it's like when you're trying to type something in a hurry with the adrenaline flowing. That, that probably took longer to print out than than uh, anything else. But yes, uh, yes. So we we buzzed, literally buzzed it up to London. Uh, start start ringing up uh, editorial staff to get them out of bed and say you might like to come in now. For your, for your shift a lot earlier than expected. Sorry about that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was an absolute lunatic four or five hours in my life 
until the day shift came in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That must have been amazing yeah. to to be the first in the West to hear. Yeah. It was um, I've still, about I've still got cassette a cassette of it. It's up in London at the moment. Uh yeah. And that that's how I found you, because you shared that on yeah, Twitter. Yeah, I, I dare not um, play the tape and I have nothing to play it on at the moment, so I'm gonna get it converted to MP three just for the just for the rest of the world. Well, <laughs> let us know when when that happens. We will absolutely um link to uh to that. Um now you said you joined in nineteen eighty nine, so were you there when the wall opened or Yeah, I was still a computer operator then and I was sitting in a when when the wall came down, I was sitting in a windowless room um with a computer screen uh categorizing reuters news agency to the right addresses so uh yeah top job top job <laughs> I, yeah I, and and yeah so basically i i, I saw the ball come down from, from a tiny little closet as the reuters was coming in i could see it all coming and yeah and yeah so uh that was yeah so i didn't get to see much of that particular part of the cold war but then, yeah yeah then the next couple of years i'd, I'd switched over into the more operational side uh yeah uh, getting getting all our eastern european stuff right was a real big part of the game for us in terms of pre the fall of the wall or post the fall of the wall while the changes were going on yeah yeah i mean we had um uh, it's probably okay to say it now, but we had we had remote uh, receivers in, in in various parts of Eastern Europe. So we had uh, receivers in Berlin, which you actually had to dial into and feed it down the telephone. And had uh, had receivers in the British Embassy in Stockholm, so we could listen to the Baltic stations from Vilnius and Tallinn, right. and Riga. And so yeah, uh, a big bank of receivers in in Vienna, so so we could hear all the Hungarian radio, uh, Polish radio, uh, Czech and Slovak radio. So we, we we actually had we actually had receivers on the ground where we could pick up uh, the local broadcast directly. Pick, pick up local medium medium waves and, F, and FM uh, stations, which which was a real advantage to us because we it was literally like having yeah. receivers in the city at the time. Uh, when 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 all yeah. hell was breaking loose, so that was really important. Um, so yeah, and also the same for the fall of Ceausescu. We we could just pick up Romanian radio, uh, and, and stations like that were, were just coming onto uh, onto satellite as well. So so the beginning of the nineties was like a real change in broadcasting, and it, and it really made life a lot yeah. easier. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting that you were using the the public phone line to dial into something that was. Picking up the local broadcast. Oh, we, we, yeah, also, yeah, we had the same thing going in uh, in Yugoslavia when that was breaking up because we couldn't actually. I mean, some of them we could hear on uh, on the internet. You know, internet rate streaming was just coming, but it was really wasn't its infancy, and it was really terrible. And uh, so, so we actually had people on the ground who we could f- phone up, literally phone them up, and. They would put a tuned radio next to the telephone for the brilliant. people. Bulletin. That's brilliant. And, you know, so yeah, oh, the absolute lowest tech possible, and and it worked. And it worked for us for years. And uh, you know, it's one of these things that, that we're really thankful that people actually put themselves out to be by their phone at three o'clock in the afternoon. So 
yeah, every now every now and then we get some ring somebody up on their mobile and they they, they hadn't quite reached home yet. Then you can hear them running home, yeah, <laughs> to get yeah. the radio off for us. And it was it's absolutely remarkable, and we're really thankful for those people. And uh, you know, and that really yeah. a lot. Of no, that's that's amazing. So, I mean, obviously we've mentioned Moscow and the and the coup in nineteen ninety one that you were you know directly involved in the in the the breaking of that. Um, you know what? What other yeah. global events sort of stick in 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 your memory um, from your time? There's just been just been so much. I mean, I was also on the night shift when uh, Osama bin Laden was killed. Right. Uh, <laughs> but that that was a bit. I did feel a lot more remote to that because it all came out through the White House. But you know, it was. Um, uh, I, I was. I was actually. Uh, I'd actually moved away from the technical side, and that's after I became a, a journalist. So I was on I was on the uh, news desk night shift. I did a lot of night shift, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, so it was immediately from you know the, the news that he'd been uh, killed in Pakistan, and then we're immediately looking out for reactions. Uh, but by by that time, we moved away from broadcast a lot so uh, instead you know it's on uh, uh, research on the internet uh, have people uh, are people in in our Delhi office looking out looking out for uh, reaction from the Pakistan media because they were somewhat indignant at the fact that America had been in there and, uh, and yeah without somewhere. telling them <laughs> without telling them first yes uh, so um I was going to ask you about things like South Africa and the release of Mandela and and the changes there. Yeah, yeah that 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 was sort of quieter for us uh, because uh, South Africa wasn't actually one of our countries. But yeah, you know, so so we did cover it. I wasn't actually on at the time, but but I do remember it well. Uh, and then we were covering the whole change in South Africa after that, which was which was just as important as as his release. Uh, so so yeah, uh, we 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 did most of that through through our uh, partners, which was the Foreign Broadcast Information Service, which became uh, Open Source Centre, which is now Open Source Enterprise. Right, right, and and now you've you've been working fifteen years as a, as a journalist, but you're still yeah. monitoring communist nations. Yeah, it's yeah. It's yeah. I mean, we we still have a reasonably large operation. I mean, although uh, Cavisham Park closed last year, I've, I've it, literally a year ago this week. Uh, so uh, oh, apt timing. I'm I'm speaking to you then, huh? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so we're now all up on the sixth floor of Broadcasting House, uh, but we we still have the uh, broad scope of BBC monitoring of uh, watching uh, Russia. And Ukraine, we we got really strong Russian Ukraine teams. Uh, we we also watch uh, Iran. Uh, us actually sit next to the the, the uh, Persian team. <laughs> They're a great bunch, <laughs> and uh, so right. we, we actually we actually receive uh, all, all the main Iranian television channels from satellite, so we can see what's basically going on there all the time. And and I presume with the technology now, some of this information is captured digitally, and it's trying to pick out keywords and things like that. Is that how the technology sort of moved? Yeah, uh, we still sort of uh, uh, use the good old fashioned eyes in their head because we have got people who've been watching this stuff for, for years and years and years, and they can they could tell a change of uh, 
a, a change change of routine, mm-hmm. you know, just like that. Uh, which is which is a lot of the stuff which which I do. I've got one of my colleagues on on the disinformation team I now work on. He uses data and he uses big data and he uses a lot of data and he can analyze it straight away and and uh, and get get interesting points there i prefer to do it old style just by watching stuff and seeing seeing what the differences are yeah uh, the, the mark one eyeball the mark one eyeball yeah so <laughs> it, we, we, we actually did did something where we were uh tried to find out some information about i can't remember what it was now uh but we came to, we came to exactly the same <laughs> uh conclusion at the, exactly the same time using completely different approaches so it works both ways and it, it's good to be able to confirm things like that yeah so so, so we've got persian team we've got uh we've got a uh, middle east arabic team and and, and a sub team working directly looking at jihadist media which is the big thing at the moment it still is even though uh islamic states sort of being beaten in in uh syria and uh iraq because they're still a thing <laughs> over much much of uh, north africa west africa east africa and uh and asia yeah um it's not actually really my job anymore but i still watch i still watch north korean television every day how it's, exciting it's is that of, it is not exciting it's but it's <laughs> the amount of cold war weaponry that's on display still on on north korean television mig 15s and mig 21s and uh and old sukhoi fighters and everything uh old soviet tanks so yeah if you if you can find north korean television and it is on the internet now there is actually a live stream you'll have to share uh, the link if you can find the link I'll, it, I'll, it sounds I'll like something for my insomnia uh unfortunately he doesn't come on the air till six in the morning that might be a good uh, time because <laughs> the time difference yeah. about six in the morning till about two in the afternoon but yeah if you love cold war weaponry you're never more than a few minutes away from a from a old russian tank right well you you've got to you've got to send me the link to that 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 sounds that sounds great Well, that's it for this episode. However, there's links to further information, including videos in the show notes, which are at coldwarconversations.com slash the word episode and the number 73. Now, I am putting together a special 30th anniversary episode on the fall of the Berlin Wall. So if you have any accounts you'd like to share on the show, do email me at ian at coldwarpod.com that's ian at coldwarpod.com and if you can think of anybody who has a great story to share then do put them in contact with me don't forget you can support us and get a cold war conversations coaster at patreon.com slash coldwarpod that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash coldwarpod If you like what you're hearing in the podcast, you can really help us by leaving reviews on iTunes or where you found this podcast. This really helps raise our profile and get new guests on the show. If you can't wait for the next episode, do visit our Facebook discussion group where guests and listeners just like you continue the Cold War conversation. Just search for us in Facebook. We're also on Twitter at Cold War Pod. Thank you very much for listening. It is really appreciated. Goodbye.
Thanks for listening. Not enjoying the ads? Well, you can avoid them by going to coldwarconversations.com slash donate. By becoming a monthly or annual supporter, you'll enjoy ad-free listening, become a part of our community, receive the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster, and bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate for more information.